This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 417. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And today we welcome a special guest, and I'll bring him on formally here in just a moment. Uh, but we have with us, should I should I say Craig Chili Palmer, or we just go by go with Chili? Uh, it sounds odd saying Craig to me. Yeah, Chili's <laughs> Chili's just fine. My wife calls me Chili, so <laughs> I only know you as Chili. But uh, anyway, we have Chili Palmer with us. Uh, really, really great guy, and actually uh, one of the consultants on uh, the movie Extraction has been a big hit in recent history here on Netflix. So we'll we'll get into some of that and talk about uh, other things related to Chili's expertise. Uh, which is uh, is broad and vast. So uh, we'll get into that. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. MountainManMedical.com, of course, is the place for the best quality, n- non-fake, nothing fake, right? You know, all legitimate, properly sourced medical and trauma gear. Check out Mountain Man- MountainManMedical.com. Uh, some really reasonably priced trauma kits on that site, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, I've got Mountain Man Medical kits all over the place now. So in all the vehicles, on my workbench, I've got one tucked away in a bag just right over here. And then I use a lot of the same products in my ankle kit that I carry with me a lot of places as well. So genuine cat tourniquets and all of that. Check it out, mountainmanmedical.com. And today's episode also brought to you by the Foundation Belt, the belt of choice that that I use on a daily basis these days, made by the EDC Belt Company. So check out the Foundation Belt, concealedcarry.com forward slash foundation for a short link to that one. And I know you're going to love the Foundation Belt, all right, especially if you're an appendix carrier, but even if you're not. You might just need to shift it a little bit if you like to carry it 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock, but uh, the foundation belt is rigid where it needs to be and not rigid where it doesn't need to be, such as, say, the small back. So I found it increases comfort, and like I'm sitting here right now, and that flat spot across the back is not trying to be pinched in with this super rigid round object. So foundation belt, concealedcarry.com forward slash foundation. And we have a viewer, Michael, he says his Yellowstone trauma kit's on the way. So yeah, uh, the, the the whole thing behind the Mountain Man Medical line, Chili, is, uh, is it kind of is a homage back to the Mountain Man days, which Jacob and I conveniently grew up in the kind of Mountain Man regions of the Rocky Mountain uh, range. And uh, so all the products uh, have Mountain Man-inspired names. Uh, just a little bit of a backstory to the Mountain Man Medical line. So uh, let's introduce our podcast guest today. We have, again, Chili Palmer uh, with the uh, U.S. Army uh, uh, once upon a time, special operations, did a lot of... Uh, a lot of crazy stuff, I am sure. And of course, as you, you and I were talking before we went uh, officially live the show about um, your background and working with Kyle Lamb. Everybody, a lot of folks know Kyle Lamb because of you know, Viking tactics and his shows and all that stuff that, that Kyle has done. You've kind of been more in the shadows, but recently that's been changing more and more because you got involved with this movie called Extraction that has kind of been all the buzz. So, uh, Ch- Chili, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your background, kind of how you got to to where you are now in, in your life, and and maybe lead into how this opportunity came about to, to work on on that production. 
Great. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was one of those kids that uh, just wanted to go in the military straight out of high school. I uh, knew I wanted to be in the military. It was not something that I had to make a decision on. It was just really when. So I went in the, the military, uh, went in in 89, went uh, right to 1st Ranger Battalion. Um, then I was there, got there about 12 December 89. And of course, you know, 20 December 89, we jumped into Panama. So that was my ninth jump, uh, static line into Panama. Yeah. Uh, from that, um, I was uh, in 1st Ranger Battalion until uh, through 91. And then uh, late 91, I went to RRD. So the Ranger Reconnaissance Detachment there at the 75th Range Regiment headquarters at Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, then I was there, you know, in the uh, as a recon specialist up until uh, through beginning at 95. So January 95, I moved up to uh, Fort Bragg for the military freefall instructor course, or not course, but as an instructor. Um, and then we moved to Yuma, Arizona part of that move where they shifted the whole free fall school out West for better, better weather and everything, uh, yeah. that July. And my son was just born that June. So having grown up in Arizona, I never thought I'd be stationed close to my folks. So three and a half hours away from my parents in Phoenix. And it was, it was nice for a couple of years. And then, uh, in basically, uh, spring, spring, summer of 97, I moved up to Fort Bragg after, completing the long walk and uh, was there at the unit for my last 17 years in the army. And that's, I've known Kyle since uh, 98 and he's been a team leader of mine on the assault team as well as within the recce team. So more of a more family than, you know, just a friendship. So it's been great. Um, And then uh, before I retired, I was still doing stuff with uh, Kyle as far as VTAC. So I was there when he started, kind of with some of his products. I have one of his original slings he made <laughs> that was very minimal, but I've got it in my my little gun room because I think it's pretty neat to have. And then, uh, yeah, started doing class with Kyle really a lot in uh, 06, 07. And then from that, um, continued with Kyle all the way through retirement, still doing VTAC, part of SIG Sours as he went uh, with SIG. And... Um, I still hold a day job. So, you know, work for FLIR full time. Busy guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you that original sling that you mentioned uh, of Kyle's, is that one that he made? Oh, yes. Yeah. When he, <laughs> he actually made it and stitched it. Yeah. that That's a special piece of history right there. So uh, many people familiar with the VTAC slings. And, of course, we sell the VTAC slings on, uh, on our website as well. We're actually really proud to sell all the Viking Tactics products that we do. So that's, that's pretty cool to hear, you know, even that little piece, uh, uh, you know, of, a, of an original model. <laughs> like you said, minimalist, I am sure, you know, Gen 1, if you will. But <clears throat> that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. So I wore it uh, quite a bit, actually. You know, got some nice uh, sweating. Sweating dirt from overseas on it. <laughs> Speaking of overseas, uh, you did quite a few deployments in, in your time in the military, uh, in the unit especially, I'm sure. So, uh, I mean, is, what, what would you say about your experience overseas? Um, you know, it was, it was real different at the beginning because, uh, you know, being in prior to 9-11, seeing how we were focused on what emerging threats we thought were out there, um, and then to actually have that threat materialize and then have to deal with it. Uh, it was, it was different up front. We were part of, uh, we went 
first trip was in Afghanistan in April of two. So really there was nothing going on at that point. Um, you know, trying to make things happen and do things and do patrols and get out there. And, and, uh, really it was kind of like, you know, battlefield atmospherics. Um, mm. then we were lucky enough to be in, uh, pretty much the lead element for the invasion, uh, into Iraq in 03. So that was pretty neat because we kind of, you know, just set our, our, um, basically mission essentially. And, you know, kind of did our thing as far as what, uh, some of the strategic, you know, targets they wanted us to, to identify or, or actually, you know, engage. And then from there, we, um, pretty much just, you know, traveled the desert for a little over a month, um, you know, in open skin vehicles and stuff. So it was, uh, it was pretty neat. And then, uh, everything started settling into when we went back into Baghdad later having, um, you know, houses and everything and operating out of the green zone and then a couple other spots, you know, in and around Iraq. So it was, uh, really just going after that Intel, you know, find out what, what the historical data was. And then from there developing those threads uh, all before the newer technologies of how, <laughs> you know, we can actually process targets or identify those, uh, individuals that need to be, uh, interdicted. So it was right. pretty neat to basically be in the wild, wild west. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. The wild, wild west of the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that, I'm sure you're aware, but, you know, just looking at things now and how differently uh, the war is even fought now compared to, to your time when you were there, it's quite a bit different, isn't it? Oh, yeah. When you look at it, um, you know, it's it's so different because of the fact of, you know, the targets and how we're prosecuting things. Um, before, yeah. like at... Afghanistan, I think you could say we did four hits within a three-month period. Uh, then when we started rolling later into our all our deployments, um, in 100, 120 days, you were going out 75% of the time, sometimes multiple times uh, during that day. So it was uh, a lot, a lot of busy work and, mm. um, you know, just prosecuting those targets, trying to, you know, make things better for everyone. Yeah. That is a lot of work, and you're obviously going to learn a lot in that process. Uh, you're going to learn a lot about, you know, you got to have really good, reliable gear and kit to support that kind of that kind of effort, right? Oh yeah, you know, at that before the war, which is funny, again before nine eleven, we used to make a lot of our own stuff. So guys would go over to the rigger shed, and you know, we we learned how to sew and um, made a lot of our own stuff. Uh, that then industry started catching up and really started making a lot of kit net after that. So it made it a lot easier because then, yeah. you know, you could get the right kit, just put it together how you wanted versus having to go sew it and do everything. Um, so there was a, yeah, a lot of development early on, um, with some of the armor and, um, you know, just overall setting up of kit. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, chili. So, the movie Extraction, you know, uh, uh, one of the biggest hits I think Netflix has had. And, and uh, I think, you know, part of that is probably thanks to coronavirus, everybody hold <laughs> up, you know, and you, you dump this, uh, this new movie on people and they're just like, wow, all right, let's watch this thing. Um, so, you know, you've been getting a little attention because people have uh, learned that you were one of the advisors on that production. And so I was kind of curious how that, that came to be. How'd that, how'd that fall in your lap? Uh, it is. It's kind of funny. Um, I 
met a uh, really good friend who is a, a great friend of today and everything. Uh, basically, one of the, the producers, uh, Patrick Newell. I met him out in uh, Vegas at Shot Show uh, through a friend of mine, um, and uh, his friend brought Patrick to the cry party, and we we're able to actually, you know, talk a little bit. Just really a quick meeting, and Patrick is just a a, a great guy. You know, not your typical uh, stereotypical guy. You would think, oh, this guy Hollywood, whatever. I mean, he is, you know, a just a great American is the easiest way to put it. You know, just down to earth, just so supportive of the military, and we developed a friendship. And he be, uh, had been trying to get me involved in a couple adventures or projects. And, uh, I did a quick little one with him, uh, in 2018 called how it ends. It was another Netflix film. It was, um, uh, we filmed it up in Winnipeg, uh, Canada. And then this one came about where, um, he was able to get me in on the second half of, um, basically all the, the filming out in Thailand. And, uh, it was, yeah, just went from there. So it was great. That's awesome. And so, you know, obviously got to work with, uh, guys like uh, Chris Hemsworth and, and others in that film. I mean, how did that go? I mean, so it sounds like you came in a little bit later, though. Like you said, you were you were more in on the uh, Thailand uh, side of things. Yes. And, and so, uh, you, know, you know, were they working with other guys as well? And, or, you know, where where'd you interface in that? And like, kind of what did you, what was your role? What, what were you actually teaching or advising on? So um, I was kind of brought in because of the whole bridge sequence and everything mm -hmm. that we're going to be doing. Um, so with that, um, there was a, there were some guys there already that were doing some adv uh, military advising. And, uh, Sean Sweeney was one of the uh, folks up front um, who has an SF background. So um, a lot of good things that Sean was doing early on. Um, but then I was able to come in and just kind of really add a little bit more to some of it, um, you know, but I, I got, yeah, got to work with Chris um, and a lot of things there were in and about in and around or moving in and around uh, the vehicles on the bridge, going up through the bridge. Uh, and also with uh, Randy Puda, who did, uh, you know, Sanju's character and had a nice uh, few hours after one of the days of shooting, which, you know, you, you actually worked some good hours, but uh <laughs> you know, got some time with him to, to work a lot more on, uh, shooting right-handed and left-handed around his, mm -hmm. um, you know, for him around the cover and concealment and the stuff, the vehicles he was running around. Um, I mean, uh, you know, it was, it was great because to be able to take these people a little bit more from what they're used to. I mean, I really don't know how many times he's played with a gun, but it was great to, to actually see. And he looked, he looked good on film, uh, doing it. And then I was, Part of the stunt guys, as far as uh, I was riding on the Hilo, um, I was on the PKM a little bit. And then um, uh, from that, I was also one of the mercenaries at the other end uh, with Nick's crew coming in to, you know, get uh, Chris's character out. Nice. That's awesome, man. Uh, so, you know, just a little bit about the, the gun handling and stuff that was uh, and the tactics used there in that bridge scene in particular. Uh, I mean, what did you find when you arrived and, and like, were, was everybody already doing pretty good job or, or did you have to make some tweaks? Um, I had to make some tweaks a little bit here and there. I also worked with, uh, there was a lot of, uh, Thai stunt, uh, personnel that were there for the playing all the bad guys on the bridge and stuff. Mm. Uh, so I, I worked with them. I worked with uh goal who played, um, Nick in the movie, um, worked with her some because that was her first, 
uh, time coming in um, and actually doing the gun handling during the the movie. And then I also worked with Chris's stunt double, uh, Bobby Holland Hanton, and uh, got a lot of time with him because you you know the stunt guys you think oh they just come in one piece here or there, but they do a lot of work, a lot of work behind the scenes, and they do you know a ton of work before the filming even starts. So mm. uh, it was it was neat to though get him spun up because. Um, just get him comfortable moving the gun around, doing everything as well. So, uh, and just working with Chris, a lot of, uh, more of the movement stuff, you know, he, he already has a strong background, athletic, everything. So it was real easy for him to, to do a lot with the guns. Um, but just got to kind of refine some of it and going over, you know, really manipulating the selector. You notice one scene, he actually extends the buttstock. So, um, when he was behind a car, um, you know, little things of, of nature, just trying to, you know, make it look a little bit better and moving it in and around the cars, you know, and how to, sh if you can see through it, you can most likely shoot through it. So, <laughs> you know, look at, look at those things, you know, and that yeah. cover covering concealment are there, but you know, people always ask to like when we do uh VTAC classes or SIG classes and you're shooting in and around cars and they're like, well, if I hide behind the door, the bullet's going to go right through. I said, yeah, but it's thicker than air. You know, you never know. You never yep. know what that bullet's going to do. So it was a lot of things like that and get really getting to work right with Chris. And he was, uh, I mean, he's that guy that you see that you think, Oh, he's a nice guy. Well, he is, you know, and, um, very willing to take criticism, very willing to try what you're, you're saying. Um, and, uh, just, you know, a workaholic cause he, he ate his lunch, everything on set on, uh, doing all the filming. So, uh, just, it was just a nice, nice to work with people that actually want to do things and not complain about it. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of this, uh, instructing this advising that you were doing most, is this primarily all done just right there on set working with prop guns and that and the like, or is there ever you know an opportunity to kind of go off off site somewhere and do some training? Um, everything I did here was all, um, actually on set on, you know, with prop guns and everything, uh, whether it be some of the rubber guns or, you know, just the blank firing, uh, the intent, hopefully, you know, that, you know, we, we do a prequel sequel and, um, I get to be involved from the front because there's a lot that I think we can add to it, you know, doing a little bit more gun handling with real firearms, because first you get an appreciation and then you understand a little bit more of why, you know, people say this or that when it comes to tactics, especially with guns, um, you know, and Hollywood's different with, with the whole animal, as far as, you know, um, coming in and, and trying to set up the tactical play, you still have to also understand the director's vision and then what they're wanting to see at that point, that scene, you know, uh, basically what happens during that scene as well as where the camera's lighting and everything else go. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit of a process. You can't just come in there like you're the first aren't and then take control. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, that's what's really cool, man. H how long did this take to say filming this whole bridge scene? We were on the bridge for, uh, wow, was it around two and a half, three weeks? And before mm -hmm. that, in the marketplace, we were um, mm -hmm. we were at a market uh, for about a week prior to that as well. Um, and then we did some stuff on the backside of the bridge where we were um, basically the, the vehicles coming with with Nick's crew in it to to basically get rake out. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good process. I mean, when you realize all together, it's what, like a, I don't know, 15 minute scene. <laughs> and and that's a lot of work that goes into something like that. 
Yes, you would not. Yeah, realize <laughs> how much goes into it. I mean, it was it's it's great though because it's when you see that final piece. Now, for me to see, you know, a really a a good movie overall, but then see everything kind of come into play. Uh, but then you think, man, I was there for a month, and wow, we got fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's fun, man. I mean, did you, did you enjoy your time there? Oh, I did. It was, um, I think I was lucky because everybody, you know, from Sam Hargrave on down was just great to work with and being a part of the stunt crew under Daniel Stevens was awesome because, uh, all the guys were from all over the world, but they were just, it was kind of like that team atmosphere again. So it, it, I felt like I was back in a team room and, you know, guys that were willing to listen, wanted to talk and chatting and and I developed some friendships out of it. So I really enjoyed working with all the folks I did. Hmm. That's fun. That's good. So kind of a little bit of a segue here, uh, talking about working around vehicles. So, um, I'm reminded of, of the course that uh, Jacob and I both had the opportunity to come and take with you and, and Kyle at Sig Sauer Academy. In fact, I think that was one of the, if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first, courses i'm if i'm not mistaken that was done in that new indoor 50 meter range uh which was great because we were doing a low light course in a controlled environment so you switch off the lights i mean it it gets it it's dark it's not even starlight it's it's black uh you know and then then we had the opportunity obviously to pull pull the car out and do some work around that in the low light uh situation as well so i had a great time and it was a great class. You know, I learned a ton. Um, you know, I didn't, didn't, uh, have a lot of opportunities prior to that to do. I mean, I've done some vehicle stuff, but definitely not doing a lot of vehicle stuff in the pitch black like that. So it was, it was a great class. What would you say? I mean, relevant to our audiences as citizen concealed carriers, uh, you know, people spend a lot of times in their vehicles. What are kind of some, some thoughts, some, some ideas that you have to maybe help you know, your everyday c- civilian Joe, you know, uh, going out there, commuting to work, uh, that sort of thing, you know, to just be a little bit more prepared, a little bit more capable of defending himself in, in, in the event something were to happen while he's in his vehicle. I, I look at it kind of like um, over time, everybody learns how to use their seatbelt without looking at it, you know, and they can get in, uh, buckle up and unbuckle without having to worry about it or even think twice about it. So I think it's understanding what room you have within your vehicle, where you can actually place them, what you can move in and around and, you know, actually think about it, sit in your vehicle. You don't have to go out there and drive around to do it, but just sit in it and think, okay, if I, if somebody approached me from, you know, the driver's side, when I'm driving, what can I do? And what, what can be my movements within the vehicle to where if I had to draw my pistol, you know, and also of course, where did I have my pistol at that point? Um, Mm. You know, so I think, just understanding really your environment with it. It's kind of like, um, you know, going into uh, when you go in the military, even just training wise, like flying on helos and stuff, you always go over emergency procedures, you know, jumping uh, within the military every, every day you do your pre jump brief. So you, you go over those emergency procedures. So understanding essentially, you know, what's in and around uh, you in your vehicle, I think is, is those are those emergency procedures. Mm. that's 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 a great place to start uh you know i i liken it to well something we talk about on the podcast uh, from time to time uh and in some other content that we've generated is you know grabbing something like a cert pistol 
uh, or a prop mm-hmm. gun or something. You know, it's where you know you're you're 100 safe. You can't make any mistakes, uh, and that's the big thing. Is like there's just there's there's no no risk involved, and so you can really kind of experiment and try some things and be a little bit more bold too, and kind of go, okay, all right, I'm in my vehicle. Uh, let's think through this strategically and analytically, and 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 then let's maybe try some things. And you know how how I carry you know say four o'clock or something a little bit behind the hip. Well, have you practiced? drawing out from that position. How does that go? Do you have a cover garment in place? Uh, how does that interface with the seatbelt? Is the seatbelt in the way? You know, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I think it's a great, great opportunity to, in a no risk environment, just sitting in your garage, maybe, you know, doing it outside and you next to a park might get a little attention <laughs> <laughs> as yeah. you're swinging a blue gun or something around inside your vehicle. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, you know, do it, do it in a safe place. And, and, uh, you know, and, and like, like Chili just said, uh, uh, give us some thought, look at your environment and how you're interacting with that environment. Good stuff, brother. Um, as it relates to, you know, you, you made a great point just a moment ago, uh, using a vehicle in the event that you had to get out of that vehicle or just, you know, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're attacked while you're at the gas station. So you're already outside a vehicle, uh, and, and all of a sudden something's going down, um, uh, you know, working around a vehicle, like what, what is, what is, I mean, like you said, Hey, if I got a door, I got a door. It's better than air. Uh, but what's the <laughs> ideal situation to find yourself in when working around a vehicle? Well, ideally is the fact that you are the one not having to react, but you're the one actually, you know, being able to dictate the situation. But I mean, nine times out of 10, especially in the civilian world, you know, you're the one reacting to a threat because all of a sudden there's an immediate threat upon you. So, um, if anything, you know, if you can get standoff from that, from that threat, I think, and whether that be move around the vehicle or being able to just back up and, and take some sort of cover, um, even if it's like at a gas station, you got to be understand what is cover, what's concealment, but then also what is not something I want to get behind, like a gas pump. I mean, <laughs> you right. know, kind of want to have an idea, not saying that you have to go everywhere, you know, go there and and sit there every place you go and say, what would I do here? I mean, we, we know we're not going to think that every time we stop somewhere. But just to get an idea in your head, though, if, if you were around a gas station or even just a convenience store, you know, what where could you hide? Could you use something to, to see to the next aisle in a, in a store, like uh, reflections off some of the freezer, um, you know, the doors and everything else? So get an idea of what what's there. Um, I would say it's it's not it's definitely not going to hurt you when you walk in somewhere and say, okay, like in a theater, where's my exit, you know, but where, where can I go in here? What's this store layout? And over time you're, you're in the same store multiple times, you know, you get an idea and you, you already know kind of that background, but if you go somewhere new, think about it. It's a lot like, um, you know, trying to do stairs as far as in CQB go somewhere. When you go to a hotel, when you go to a, a movie theater, maybe there might be stairs, who knows what, but look at those stairs and think, hmm, how would I be able to go up and down these safely if there's somebody shooting at me from either above me or below me? Um, so it's kind of like that, you know, just be ready, just think and be aware of where you're at and what you're doing, especially if you're going to, you know, have a concealed carry, you, you have to be switched on to begin with. You're not just having it for the heck of it. You're having it for a reason. And first you have to be safe, know how to use it and be able to think. And I think uh, if you can, you know, get around and get standoff and use the car, um, you can crouch behind a, ca- on a behind a car, still being able to see over it. 
if you can't see over it because the way the threat was, you can still see from underneath it. You know, uh, if you look mm-hmm. in the movie as well, you know, he shot over top, got the guys to push down below, you know, raked it, and then uh, underneath the vehicle, skipped some rounds into him, and then be able to come around the backside. Yeah. Granted, that's a little bit different as far as, you know, more of that military style of piece, but you can still move like that in and around the vehicle. And if you can keep situation awareness where that threat is, I think that's key. Mm. That's a great point. You know, and, and, and being aware of that environment, the, the resources you have available, how you can use them to your advantage, because regardless of military or civilian context, uh, if you're faced with a threat, the, the goal is to end the threat. Right. Right. You want to eliminate that threat and, uh, as fast as you can, but, you know, do it in a manner that you're not just, uh, you know, you're still accountable for your rounds no matter which way you look at it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that's something that, you know, speaking of, uh, uh, training with you and Kyle, I mean, accountability rounds is a really important thing. I mean, there was drills we would do that, uh, you'd have us redo because we'd look at targets and go, that wasn't good, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you see uh, as you know? You, you spend a lot of time behind a gun, right? So, what what are some of the biggest mistakes uh, people make with with shooting a gun? Uh, let, you know, let's be maybe more pistol focused because this is more oh. still carry you know uh, uh, content here. But uh, I mean, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make? You know, there's so many different ways to look at that. I think um, when it comes to you know, people with concealed carry, I think that the biggest thing they think is they practice the draw once or twice and they're, they're done with it. And then they're like, yeah, I'm good anytime. And, and like you were mentioning different clothes, seatbelts, things like that in the vehicle. But I think it's understanding, you know, and practicing no matter what, um, basically, okay, Hey, I have, do I have my holster at four o'clock? Do I have it, you know, um, located on my opposite hip for some reason, who knows what went on, but you got to be able to practice. And I think people just take it for granted. They're just like, well, I'm just going to carry my gun because I can carry my gun and not understand really what to do. And that people, you know, when they get close, they think, Oh, I can just point the gun and shoot, you know, at no time should you ever be engaging any sort of threat unless you can see your sights, you still have to see your sights. And if you practice that fundamental and doing it right of no matter what you're doing and how you get that gun out, if you focus on your sights and seeing the threat, you're going to eliminate that threat a lot sooner than if you uh, just start pointing the gun out there. And then you may not be accountable for those rounds as far as not knowing where they're at. Kind of like some of the drills where you had to do over. (laughs) Right. Now, I'd like to believe that most of my hits counted for the record. But <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> but did I miss some? Of course I missed some. Absolutely. Um, you know, speaking of accountability too, I mean, like even just talking about working around a, around a vehicle now, it's probably more of an issue with uh, with a carbine where you've got such a, you know, hide over bore uh, related to your optics or your sights. Uh, but, you know, you got to be accountable t- there too, because if you're shooting off the, the grill of the, of the vehicle, then you're not getting the job done <laughs> either. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. You got to be able to, just because your sights are seeing the target is your barrel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing too, that's eye opening when you, when you go through a vehicle course, uh, is, and while you may be using a range vehicle that's been out there, it's been, you know, getting dragged around in the dirt and the mud and whatnot. So it might be a little bit more prone to this, but, but all vehicles pick up dirt and stuff and and you don't realize how much dirt is underneath a vehicle till you let off a few rounds underneath that vehicle. And then all of a sudden your, your vision is clouded. <laughs> yes. Especially if you have a nice muzzle brake, you know, <laughs> right. you might, 
Yeah, we've seen um, some folks with some really nice muzzle brakes, and then we're like, all right, yeah, enjoy it under the car. And then they put it under the car, and they got they look like they had uh, rust sprayed right on their face because all the rust from the car came down <laughs> on them. So, yep. It, <laughs> Fun times. Back to the accountability piece, though. Uh, you talked about the importance of you. You can't address the threat uh, with the gun. You can't. You know. You, you don't shoot the threat until you can see your sights on that threat. Um, that that I I am convinced is probably next to trigger control is probably one of the biggest challenges people have with regards to being accountable for all the rounds they fire. And by accountable, I mean like every time that gun is fired, and this is something I've been working on with myself more and more recently too. It's always been a, th- a thing, but but I've been actually very specifically working on this skill in recent in uh, my recent trips to the range and stuff. And that is on calling my shots, meaning that knowing where that that shot is going because of where my sights were on the target at the time the the round was fired. Um, that's a for me at least, and I assume it's probably true for most people. And and I assume that you know what I'm talking about here. But but that is a really difficult thing for me to uh, to I guess I would say truly master. Like I understand the concept, I execute it pretty well a lot of the time. Uh, but there's times where you want to go fast and then you kind of lose sight of, well, the sights or you pay attention to where, where they're at on the target. No, exactly. So what would you say to someone that, you know, particularly if you don't have the opportunity, like, uh, like some, some guys, I mean, you on the teams, like you, you, you spent a lot of time, uh, on, on Delta team putting rounds down range. Uh, I've, you know, talking with Kyle, uh, reading, you know, literature and stuff like you guys spent a lot of time being accountable. Like that's probably actually what I remember from, um, Oh, what's the book? I'm trying to think of the name of the book now. I'm drawing a blank, but what I remember the most about some of what you guys experience in your training is that there can be zero misses. Is that, is that, that that's true, right? So like if there's a miss, like somebody is getting a butt chewing in a big way and maybe even getting booted. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, when you look at, again, going back to the, just the, you know, accountability, it is a, a miss. I mean, that, that can't happen because of the fact during, you know, some of these situations where, you know, you're shooting around people that aren't the threat, you know, so you have, you have to, know that your rounds are doing what they're intended and they're going where they need to because yeah miss is detrimental i mean that could be someone else's life you know so it is a huge thing to be uh very accurate and know where those shots were like you said calling your shots you have to yeah you when you're out there practicing um no it's like oh yeah i know i jerked that one i it, yep that it got away from me a little high and you know the more you shoot and the more you uh start being aware of your sights, your trigger control and thinking through that as you're shooting as well, then you'll, you'll know and be able to call those shots a little bit sooner. I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that is just, that is what I've become convinced of is that I can't be truly fully accountable uh, for, for my rounds fired. If I don't in the moment that shot, the trigger is pressed, know precisely where that's going. And, uh, you know, so as, as an instructor working with students of my own, 
you know, I like to, to start people slow, obviously a little bit. Uh, we usually start with some kind of accuracy drill because I believe you've got to be able to shoot accurately before we can really start doing anything at speed because going fast is not going to do anybody any good. If you just, if you don't even have the base fundamentals of how to put around where you intend to. Um, but then as we start stepping things forward, of course, that, you know, we always want to push students a little bit, right? That's, that's the whole point is to encourage that growth. Uh, and growth doesn't happen where we're not challenged, but, you know, as we start advancing along, it comes a point where you start to lose a little bit of control, I think. Um, n- now we start talking about maintaining control, maintain, you know, being able to, to call those shots, let's say, uh, and do it under pressure, right? How would you say, I mean, w- what are some ideas that you have for someone? I mean, as someone that has been th- in high pressure situations for much of your career, uh, how do we get to a point where we don't just master some of these, these fundamentals on a flat square range with no pressure? What, what can particularly civilians do, do you think, to kind of help prepare oneself? Again, we're not going to, we're not stepping out on the battlefield, right? So it's, it's still a different context, but there's still things I believe we can do to be a little bit more prepared to handle the stress of, of a situation. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard when you don't have everything or a free range that you could just kind of run around on and, uh, you know, still being in a safe manner. But I think for folks, time is always, it's an easy one to put yourself on, but knowing that you're being judged off of time, sometimes, uh, you know, folks just automatically stress themselves out. It's kind of like having to study for a test. Um, there's other, you know, factors that you can do too. You can, you know, if you can't move around on your range based off the restrictions, nothing says you can't do, um, you know, a bunch of push-ups until you're starting to, to really have muscle failure on that, then come up, put yourself on time because you're already tired. You're already, your heart's already beating. Things are going. And now you've got to perform in that, uh, manner on time. If you have the ability to actually move around the range, you know, a, uh, moving and shooting, um, you know, setting up uh, a nice drill to where you're actually running and going into different positions or around different, um, you know, settings as far as maybe a vehicle, a VTAC barricade, uh, barrels. I mean, but then you're shooting around right-handed and left-handed as well. Um, but time, time's going to be that good measure because we all want to perform under time. And what really helps for accountability is having a buddy there with you. Mm, yeah, for sure. For sure. Do you, have you ever shot, uh, competitions? I shot a few. Um, Kyle used to, to run a three gun out in uh, North Carolina and it was, it was the first time stepping up at one of those shooting in front of all these other people, uh, was, was pretty nerve wracking. So if, mm. if folks can get out there to do it and, and, and realize, you know, you're, it's kind of like giving a oral presentation the first time in school, you know, you just understand it's just you and it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. You're there to do what you need to do. Um, and if you can just realize that, you know, Hey, it doesn't matter what all these other people think or see or you know, you run through what you know, you need to based off your fundamentals without trying to, you know, let the wheels fall off over time, you'll just get used to, to shooting around people and then it can become fun. And a lot of people pick it up and actually enjoy, you know, um, going out there and doing competitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, I got into, 
officially shooting competitions about oh four maybe a little more than four years ago and uh it's you know it's done wonders for you know no longer am i as timid or as or intimidated you know to to get in front of people and and perform you know uh, with a gun in my hand and and uh you know, I don't know. I enjoy it. I think it's also fun. It's just a fun way to enjoy shooting a gun and uh, work on developing skills as well. Um, you you talked about uh, you know running around doing some physical exertions when training. Uh, is that something? You, I mean, do you still actively train on a regular basis, Chili? Yeah, I try to. Uh, the lucky side is um, we, my uh, stepson and I put to put a gym together a few years ago out here where we live mm-hmm. in Virginia. So with this COVID, we still have some, uh, you know, physical fitness stuff. Uh, but to me, you know, it is a big part of my life still. I mean, it was growing up playing sports. Um, you know, you just take it for granted. You never want to do it and you know, you don't see the benefits of it, but then going in the military, it's, it's a way of life because you can't expect yourself just to go out there and put on this kit and run around and be okay. You've got to train to be able to, you know, have 70 pounds of stuff strapped to your body and then get out there and still perform, you know, in a, in a very different situation or unique environment. Um, so I do try to, you know, maintain, you know, some sort of cardiovascular, uh, it it seems like it gets harder and harder as we get older, but then, uh, you know, I, I enjoy going to the gym, at least if I can go five, six times a week, then, then I feel good. And my wife knows it's my stress release. So, She's uh, very supportive of that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, you know, I was thinking too about uh, my own experience with training and, and trying to exert myself. Uh, what what I feel slips the most is not so much that I can't continue to hold my gun and press the trigger, you know, and, and shoot at a target, but that when we get, you know, so, so correct me if I'm wrong anywhere, but when we get uh, tired, when we get you know, where we've been working really hard, we're breathing hard, the the adrenaline maybe is going, the heart's pumping, all that stuff. I feel like it's a little bit easier to maybe not focus on some of those finer detail things like, say, sights. Yeah, exactly. And and I did that with uh, Bo. One of the, uh, when I first, uh, first time I went bow hunting was a couple of years ago. I was with Kyle. We went out to Wyoming and it was for elk. And so one of the things we we're talking about was, Kyle was like, oh, yeah, when that elk comes in, it, your heart's going to be pounding through your chest, so you need to kind of practice for it. So uh, one of the things that was brought up to us by another guy, uh, Daryl, that you did some courses with us in Florida, uh, big archery uh, competition and hunter, and he was like, go do, you know, run your laps, put an arrow at like 20 yards, put an arrow at 30, run back and forth to where you're uh, basically doing your, um, uh, you know, what shuttle run type thing yep. and then be able to get the heart going and then focus because, you know, with the bow, of course you're focusing on those pins, which is the same as looking at iron sights really on a, on any pistol or rifle. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd go to the gym, do a good workout, come right back to where I'm still, uh, my, my arms or my wrists are still, you know, kind of, uh, or tired from everything and then get on the bow because then it, it's like, okay, you still, now have to focus on those fundamentals. Cause I think if you are, you know, um, used to focusing on those fundamentals, do some exertion like that, do something to get the heart rate up. The biggest thing to calm yourself down. And what I think about it as well is those steps that I need to do to get the pistol out, especially, and to see my sights, 
and maintain that uh, tr uh, trigger manipulation and, you know, maintain my grip throughout. Because for me, growing up, I taught myself how to shoot. So, of course, mm. you know, I had no problems. I, I was good, you know, but uh, <laughs> so I had some really bad habits. And to me, I, uh, I can... I can jerk the heck out of a trigger. Um, you know, I can miss it five yards. So, uh, that was something I had to cope with a lot was focusing on that trigger manipulation, trigger pull. And, um, I think, yeah, if you're out there doing some exercise, huffing and puffing, come back when you then put yourself under time, but just focus on the fundamentals and then everything else will fall in line yeah. if you're doing it correctly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been incorporating, uh, so I've been, I've been, you know, working on my pistol training and, uh, incorporating movement into that and stuff. And, you know, I've been doing kind of just some, some shuttle runs back and forth with my gun in hand, uh, just in my basement here. You know, I've got a pretty nice little, I've got a long run in my, in my basement. Uh, and, uh, uh, it, what I have found is now, especially if I do it with, I got the P320 X5 Legion, which is, you know, that, that heavy bugger. It's 43 yep. and a half in <laughs> ounces or whatever. Uh, that one in particular, that gun, I, I like running with that one because, uh, and that's my competition gun these days too, because, you know, I'll go back and forth, back and forth. And I'll get, you know, a good five, six, seven runs in, and then you extend out to target and that 43 and a half ounces feels like a small kettlebell out there <laughs> <laughs> as you're trying to press the trigger. <laughs> yep. Yep. It definitely can. I mean, it's, it's, and I like to, you know, also like, uh, go out there with the, I've got the P365 that I carry um, when I go out and I like to then actually get worn out, get, you know, especially like after doing some, some arms exercises, go out there because your grip is already tired. And now you've got to get this small little gun out of this holster and, and mm -hmm. get it up there and hold it. But yeah, I think, you know, just realizing where you're at, what you're doing and trying to, it all leads back to the fundamentals of focusing on those fundamentals and, and knowing what works for you, you know, cause everybody says, Oh, you need this much trigger. Or if somebody's telling you, Hey, this is the correct trigger position. No, it's all about what works for you. So find out where you can, um, you know, still get everything as far as lined up holster wise, everything else that you need. And then when you're actually pulling out the, the gun, maintaining your, your best grip, your best positioning to where you can acquire the sights and be able to engage accurately. Yeah. I agree with that. Absolutely. You know, to your point, uh, it, it is what works for you, especially with something, you know, like that with, with the trigger, the trigger press uh, or the finger position on the trigger. W what is important is we all have to press the trigger the same way as far as we can't move the gun as we're doing it. Yeah. hundred percent. So, yeah. So we can't let a guest on the Conceal Carry podcast get away without asking. Uh, you just, you know, spilled a little bit of the beans there. You, you, you like to carry the P365. That's a, that's a, that's a great gun. I've got one and have carried it many times. Although I, I have since kind of moved to the uh, XL version of it. Uh, I like that little bit larger uh, frame uh, on that gun. But uh, wh where do you carry? Uh, what's, what's, uh, I mean, what kind of holster are you using? That sort of thing. Um, right now I've, I've got a, you know, the course of 365, like I said, and I carry it, um, about four o'clock. I just, just like it. Cause I can carry it easily. I've been using some, uh, Blackhawk holsters as well as, uh, one of the sticky holsters, uh, that I have because it's, that works great for me, especially if I'm getting in and out of my car a lot. Um, and so I have the ability to, to shoot at home, which is great. So I do practice mm. with those holsters because, um, 
you know, I went out there just uh, the other, yeah, just last week and, you know, I think about 250 rounds just out of the concealed um, draw because I just wanted to, to go out there and do everything because it's like, especially again, like we talked about, if you're carrying it, you got to know how to use it and use it safely and be, you know, accurate with it and accountable. Um, so I like, because I don't have to take my gun out of the holster. Um, when I go in the vehicle, it's always right there. And I know if I go to my seatbelt, it's the same as if with my left hand going, then I'm going to move, remove my garment to get my right hand on the gun anyway. So to me, it's, I'm removing the seatbelt. I can grab my garment and lift it up and still get a good draw even from in the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, and then, uh, oh, and I saw just yesterday, actually a press release that, uh, Kyle's working with Black Point Tactical on a new holster design. So is that something that interests you at all or or uh, you going to stick with with what you know? No, it does interest me. I'm willing to to, to try things. I'm kind of that uh you know that that kit guy as well where I like to try everything. And Kyle, <laughs> I was speaking with him the other day. He's like, "Oh yeah, I got to get you some of those." So this is another reminder to Kyle that uh, I'm waiting on my care package. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, if you're listening, you, you better get on that, buddy. Uh, what what kind of sat- sidearms did you carry uh, when you were when you were still operational? You know, we started uh, when I first got there. We had the Caspian 45s, and that's what I cut my teeth on uh, when I got up to Bragg. And for me, I've always loved the 45. And then. Uh, you know, it was just, so it was great. I, I love that gun still. Yeah, it's heavy. It's, you know, minimal round count and everything. And when we started seeing operational wise, you know, it's, it's pretty stout little gun and the amount of magazines you got to carry on your leg um, when you're running around in altitude in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we all started carrying, a lot of people went to their Glock. So we had the Glock 19. And then uh, that's pretty much what I carried all throughout. I had kind of an older canvas style holster or not canvas, but it, it kind of looked like some of the old world war two canvas with the flap over. And I modified that, um, to, to fit my, uh, Glock with the light and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. again, remember we learned how to sew, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I carried that on my leg still. A lot of guys went up to, you know, chest rigs and stuff on their, their kit. I just was always familiar, you know, more familiar with it being on my leg. Cause I knew I'd always default there. You know, I have seen people at times, oh, where my, where's my gun? Not out there during uh, operations, but, you know, if if you have somebody switch up their routine of where they're normally carrying um, and then have them run a drill, let's see where they actually try to draw from. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, I like to try to be consistent as well. So, I don't know, two two or, I don't know, maybe three years ago now, it's been a while, uh, I, I switched from kind of like you about four o'clock, three thirty, four o'clock, somewhere around there to appendix, uh, pretty much 99% of the time now, uh, as I've found that that now works for me and works better for me in a variety of situations. But, uh, it, it, it took a while to, to really ingrain that to make sure that, you know, that became the default as opposed to the old way. <laughs> Yeah, I think I just got stuck in my ways. That's why I like it around there. <laughs> well, you know, and I'll tell you, I, I know that I've put in the work to uh, make that transition to appendix when my draw time is faster from concealment appendix than it is from an open uh, three o'clock holster uh, with standoff. Like, wow. one holster, like <laughs> that's great. You know, so as I started uh, shooting a little bit more uh, competitively, 
And then, you know, I, I'd go to draw and I'm like, why am I so much slower coming from a much easier <laughs> holster, you know? <laughs> That's and it's funny. just, it's just what you put in, you know, the, the, the time, the effort, the work, I think. So yeah, anyway. that's very true. You just gotta be, you put in the work, but it's gotta be the, you know, not just practice, but the perfect practice. That's right. Well, as we're kind of coming up here on the hour, uh, chili, I mean, if you were to leave and this could be about anything, it could be life. If you want to go all philosophical on us, uh, it could be training, it could be shooting, it could be, Maybe there's an aspiring, uh, uh, you know, a service member out there in our audience today that that uh, whatever. Uh, if you were to offer words of advice as we kind of parting words here, what would you say? I think we, uh, especially in this day and age with everything going on, you know, we have to look at really those first responders, um, everybody out there, military, uh, you know, law enforcement and firefighters, paramedics, everybody, because of the fact is they're doing the job that we all kind of you know, just, we take our day-to-day life for granted. Um, you know, I have my son, he's in the military, you know, he's been in some of the places I've been, he's been in the military five years. So it's, it's different when, you know, we've been at war for so long as well that, you know, the threat is real and, you know, these people are still volunteering to do the things at home as well as, you know, abroad. So I just think we need to, to really, you know, thank, all the first responders and um, just understand that, you know, we can't be safe if, if they're not out there doing the job. Amen to that. That's a, that's a great, great place to end right there, Chili. Thank you for, for saying that. And also thank you for all the many years of service that you offered to, to us, to, to us as a people and as a nation. I really appreciate uh, everything that you've done, the sacrifices made and others like you and others that uh, maybe did not come home. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you, Chili. Well, guys, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode here today. Uh, we thank you all for joining us and being with us. Uh, now, uh, Chili is actually going to come back and be a part of a Guardian Nation live event, uh, which, which actually, when we get done here, uh, we're going to lock down exactly when, what day and uh, that's going to be. But uh, for those of you that are Guardian Nation members, you can look forward to uh, uh, associating with, with Chili a little bit more and face to face and asking uh, questions uh, in our usual Guardian Nation live format that uh, many of you are familiar with. So appreciate uh, Chili for coming back for that. Uh, and uh, it's been a great episode. I mean, lots of words of wisdom, Chili, and, and great advice. And uh, of course, some entertainment as well, just learning about stuff behind the scenes with this new movie and uh, hope to, you know, that you have much greater success in the future, that you have other great opportunities and that you enjoy and find uh, happiness in, in all that uh, that you pursue. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, just um, really appreciate everything that everybody else does out there for us all. So thank you. Yeah. So uh, one last uh, call out to today's episode sponsors, mountainmanmedical.com and also the Foundation Belt by EDC Belt Company, which of course can be found at concealedcarry.com forward slash foundation. And so with that, that's a, that's a wrap for another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. We'll be back here Thursday at the usual time. So we hope to see you all then. And until then, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.